0: This is Subconscious Mind Mastery Podcast number 18. Welcome aboard, everybody. We are going to talk about David and Goliath, an old Bible story today. Hi, my name is Thomas Miller. Normally we don't do this, but I was in a meeting not long ago, and after we'd finished our business, we started talking some personal, sharing personal stories and. This person that I was meeting with told me this. He said, I want you to listen to this story of David and Goliath because we, our talk had turned spiritual in several areas. And we were sharing back and forth of where we were spiritually. And he said, I want to tell you a story. He said, Let, "Let's let's look at David and Goliath because he said, I've got an interesting twist on this that you probably didn't hear in church. Well, when he heard that, I was all ears, and he did such a great job of telling this story, and there was so much relevant that came from it, and it really sparked my excitement, my enthusiasm, that I wanted to share it with you. So if you don't mind, we'll step aside from what we normally do here and go take a look in the Old Testament, and let's take a look at a story that might actually encourage you in a really significant area. Now, I totally respect whatever your position is on the Bible and on Christianity. This is one of the classic stories in literature. It's one of the beautiful tales of a young boy who goes out and defeats the enemy, the obstacle that was bigger than he is. So if you just take the story in that context... It's a beautiful account of the power of youth, the enthusiasm of a young teenager who steps on the scene and looks around at the older crowd and says, what are you people doing? You know, I'll step up and do this. It's also overcoming an obstacle, and it has a great element of faith in God. Now, you know the premise of the story, and if you'd like to go read it and refresh yourself on it, it's in the Old Testament in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 17. The whole chapter is the story of David and Goliath. Now, you know that back in those days, somebody was always at war with somebody else. Battle was just a part of daily life, and it was all hand-to-hand combat. Well, in this particular scene, we see the army of the Philistines pitted against the army of Israel, and they're camped out at this field, this valley in between two hills, and the Philistines think that they have an upper hand. It's this giant, about nine-foot-tall giant by the name of Goliath. And not only that, but historically, the Philistines were known for their bronze armor. So here's this giant who is clad from head to toe in bronze. Well, the army of Israel didn't have anything to match that. And so they had been in this 40-day-long, basically, game of cat and mouse, where they would parade Goliath out in front of the army of Israel, and he would basically make fun of them. I see it as almost a kindergarten schoolyard type thing because he would go out and taunt them verbally, but nothing was ever getting done. It's kind of silly if you think about it, doing this 40 days, but that's the setup when David arrives on the scene. Now, David had been a shepherd boy. He was somewhere in his probably mid-teens, and he had been a shepherd in his father's field. And one of the things that David did in guarding the sheep was he'd learned to throw a mean slingshot Now, slings in those days, as you know, it was basically a handle and then it had a strap that came off of it to a little pouch and you would wind it around over your head clockwise and then release the rock and let it go. So it's not like a sling shot, not like the V type thing that we use today. It's a throw. Actually, you can I think you can see videos of it on YouTube. I haven't checked it out, but my friend said you they actually still have competitions of accuracy of sling throwing. The other thing that David did in the fields out there tending the sheep was he became very attuned spiritually. David knew that there was a force in the universe bigger than himself, and he spent a lot of those long days in the shepherd field connecting with it. The Israelites called this force Jehovah God, and David spent most of his early developmental years connecting with God. The other thing that you'll see as you look at David's characteristics is that he was feisty. He was scrappy, a little bit cocky. So he shows up at this encampment, having been sent there by his father to deliver food to his brothers, and he hears these taunts coming from the giant Goliath. Now, here's where the story gets fun, because David asks about, well, what's up with this guy? Well, they answer by saying, don't you see how this man keeps coming out to defy Israel? And they tell David that the king the king of israel will give great wealth to the man who kills him he will also give his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in israel now this is where my friend got a big smile on his face as he was telling the story because david asks again he says wait a minute what will what will the king do for the guy who kills this dude and they tell him again the same thing he will get great wealth he will get the king's daughter And he will be exempted from taxes. And you know good things come in threes, right? Because David went to a different group and he asked the same question and got the same answer. You will get plenty of wealth, you'll get the king's daughter, and you'll get exempted from taxes. Now, if you're a feisty, cocky 16-year-old and they come along and say, basically, if you put a rock in the right place, you are set for life. <laughs> you see why you see why this story takes a different turn. David's motivation for fighting Goliath was the two things that is motivating most men today, money and a hot girl. Man, think about it. You get tax-free wealth and a princess. Hmm. We don't hear that David was highly educated in any institutions of learning, but let me tell you, he wasn't stupid. He knew he could take that slingshot, and he looked at that giant and saw there was one open spot in all that armor, and that was his forehead. Perfect. Now, the other thing that's interesting here that my friend and I discussed was that there's no further dialogue between David and God as far as what to do. The king of Israel, his name was Saul, tried to give David a set of armor to put on, and David said, I can't. I can't work with this. And so he took that off and went out to face the giant, just like he would face any animal that had come along to try to steal one of his sheep. And so David followed his natural intuition, his training, the thing that he had developed all those years out in the field. He didn't need some revelation or instruction from God. He just got his feet moving. He got his feet moving, doing what he knew how to do. He knew he could hit that spot. He knew this was really a mismatched battle, that Goliath had all this armor and he had a big spear. What could he do? He could heave the spear. Well, David's a nimble little 16-year-old kid. He just ducks out of the way. And he knew that he was highly accurate with that sling, and so he picked up five stones out of the brook. Why five? Well, he knew that if he missed with one, he could have four other chances before the guy could even get his sword back. So strategically, David was able to figure all this out in the moment and realize that this was a layup. And afterward, he was going to be set for life. So he was going to seize the opportunity, baby. And I'm sure as he was walking out there, he had to have looked over his shoulder at the rest of that whole army of older guys and looked back and just thought, what are you people thinking? This is like taking candy from a baby. Well, you know the rest of the story basically, there were four rocks left over. (laughs) David killed him on the first throw. Rock hit him in the forehead probably at over 200 miles an hour, and there wasn't much left of Goliath's cognitive abilities. So I really loved my friend's interpretation that David's motivation to go out and face the giant, risk his life, was that he would be set for life with money and a hot girl. And that he asked and confirmed it three times before. Are you sure? Are you really sure? What do I get now if I go out? What what am I going to get? Okay, I'm all in. Let's roll. So then I thought about this some more because the Bible is real clear in one area of saying that of all the people in the Old Testament singled out, it says that David was a man after God's own heart because he would do anything that God asked. So I got to thinking about that. What was the characteristic of David, as you look at the whole entirety of his life, where David could best be described as a man after God's own heart? Now, this is purely my speculation, but I think one of the characteristics that stands out to me is that David did not have any fear. And this is where I love the way that my friend told this story, because David was just as motivated by the same things that you and I would be motivated by today. He not only won the lottery, he got a hot chick on the side, too, and tax-free. And when he heard about the deal, he was not afraid to go for it with everything he had. And that's the way that he lived his life. He was a warrior. He was the head of the army. He was the guy out there leading the battle, not afraid of anything. And in living our own lives, don't you find that a lot of what we don't do and a lot of the things that we don't have is because of fear? I love Bob Proctor's teaching on this. He talks about the terror barrier. Let's say that we want to manifest something in our life. We set a goal. We set an objective. We might create a vision board. We are really clear that this is where we want our life to go. This is the direction. And then there's fear of the unknown, of what if that actually came about, what if that fulfilled. Or the fear of the steps that we might have to take and the uncertainty behind those steps. We don't know the outcome, things we can't control. And that creates a terror barrier and often will keep us paralyzed, keep us from moving forward. Personally, I grew up in a home that was full of fear. That was the defining characteristic of my growing up. And it was definitely one of my defining characteristics. Addressing this and dealing with this was something that Darren Weissman's work with his lifeline technique meant so much to me because he would identify at an early formative period of life, you are in an environment of fear. I didn't have just an episode of fear. I had an existence of fear. And Darren Weissman knows well how our subconscious is programmed. So we get programmed by that early environment. And if we don't challenge it early. And if that old pattern isn't identified and addressed and reprogrammed, then we will carry it into our adult years. So maybe you're connecting with this and there are some hidden fears or maybe some very prominent fears that you would like to address. Let me give you four steps. This list is by no means conclusive. There are a lot of ways and a lot of resources that you can study on how to manage fear and how to conquer fear. But these are four that I used. And remember, I woke up every morning for over a year in virtually sheer terror and anxiety. So these are several things that I used and incorporated over a period of time to resolve that fear and literally melt it away. Okay, step one, set your intention. Now, we've already talked about this quite a bit in some of the other podcasts, but you know this is the genesis. This is the beginning of where any process begins. And it could be that in your own situation, you haven't set intentions. You don't have clear goals. A lot of people, now look, a lot of people go through a long phase of their life where they don't have goals and intentions. I learned through the Landmark program to set very short-term goals and intentions. In other words, create something along the way of what you want to do right now. What are you creating right now? What is ahead of you for the next 12 hours, depending on when you're listening to this. If you're listening before you go to bed, I know what's ahead of you. But let's say that it's daytime. What's ahead of you for the next 8 to 12 hours? Have you created what this day is going to be? Have you created who you're going to be in the day? Have you set an intention of what this day is going to be like? What you're going to accomplish? How you're going to interact with people? Listen, if you don't have an intention for the day, then you are responding to the environment around you. It's that simple. I imagine there are some jaws dropping about right now. Oh my gosh, I didn't think of it like that. Yeah, if you don't have an intention for this week, then you're going to respond to this week. If you don't have an intention of what you want your life to accomplish this next month, you won't accomplish much in this next month. You'll look back and Bob Seger's words will haunt you. 20 years, where'd they go? 20 years, I don't know. Don't let that happen. Set an intention. Set an intention for your short-term day, your intermediate term, weeks, months, quarter, year, five-year plan, decade plan. I'm in my 50s. I've set clear intentions on what I want to have happen in my 50s. And I'll tell you, having not done that so precisely as I have now, it's amazing the difference that it affects on your psychology. It will shift your head in a whole different direction. Now, there's one other really important point on setting intentions, and this is so key. Listen to this, because this is really the nuts and bolts of putting boots on the ground and making this work for you. And that is one of the hardest things you will ever do in life is to create and hold a vision when the reality of the existence and the world around you is nothing like what you're creating in your mind. Classic example, you can't pay your bills. You create that you have wealth and abundance. There is such a gap between not even knowing how you're going to put gas in the tank and this vision that you're creating that you have wealth and abundance. It's almost laughable. You think, oh, yeah, there's no way. Yeah, right. This was something I learned from the science of getting rich, the Bob Proctor, Jack Canfield, Michael Beckwith audio series that I have a link to over on the right-hand side of the website at subconsciousmindmastery.com. And all three of them, Proctor, Beckwith, and Canfield, all talked about the difficulty or what they did to hold the vision while the world around them was not at all the way that they were holding in their mind. Bob Proctor talked about being a fireman in Canada in his in his 20s and how he created the vision of what he ultimately became, started to study this material, and he saw that in his mind. But he was a fireman, and he was barely scraping by. Michael Beckwith has an amazing story of getting the financing for his church in Los Angeles. It's an incredible story. And then I love Jack Canfield talking about how he built his company twice. He built it once in his mind— And then that ultimately became reality and manifest itself. But he said he built it in his mind first, including the details of the Chicken Soup Series, what ultimately became the Chicken Soup Series, because it didn't exist at that time. There wasn't a partnership with Mark Victor Hansen. There wasn't an empire of publishing brands around the world. He built all of that in his mind first. So the hardest discipline is to create a vision, hold that vision when reality is indicating otherwise but in holding that vision and keeping the faith of that vision is where you begin to shift your life. This is where it all changes. Step number two, acknowledge the fear and dialogue with it. Now, there's some background that needs to take place here for you to understand this. And if you're picking this up like on iTunes and listening to Uh, one of the higher number podcasts, you might want to go back and listen to some of the earlier ones and move forward in this direction instead of working backwards because we lay some groundwork in those earlier ones of what we're talking about here. But the bridge keeper, the concept of the bridge keeper is where the fear is coming from. Remember, it's coming from your subconscious mind. It's connecting you with remembrances and events from your past and it's flashing you a warning sign. But remember, it's only based on old programming of the past. That's the only reference that it has. But this is the power of the subconscious mind because if you're gripped in anxiety to the point where you're almost not able to function, you have to realize that that is because of the impact of how your subconscious mind has been so programmed by your conscious mind that it is not going to let you go. And that's the most direct and one of the most powerful ways that you can see the impact of the subconscious mind. It has you in a grip and you cannot get out of it. Well, once you turn that around and that same power is out there in the universe working ahead of you, manifesting things, Drawing them into your life, that's the significant power of the subconscious mind. But you can dialogue with it. And so step number three I'm going to encompass in this technique that I learned from Frederick Dodson. Let's call it the Dodson technique. So you write your intention down, and then you listen to your spirit. You listen to that inner voice inside. And what will generally come up is some kind of an offset You set an intention, you will get something in your spirit that says, no, you can't. Let's say you set an intention that you want to make $20,000 a month of passive income. And let's say that you're not making anything near that, nor do you have the potential in front of you to make anything near that. So your voice of counter might be that, well, you don't have the training for that. How are you going to pull that off? And then what you do in the Dodson technique is you counter the counter. For example, you might do some research and find a list of ways that people without any formal education have embraced these concepts that we're talking about and built massive wealth for themselves. Bob Proctor is a perfect example. He has no formal education, yet he is a multimillionaire. He has published dozens of books, and his work is known around the world. So you see, the argument starts to break down. What you're holding as truth can't be substantiated as truth somewhere else, so it can't be true universally. Gravity is gravity anywhere you go. But if you say, I can't make $20,000 a month of passive income, yet somebody over here is doing it, well, that's where you come back to your subconscious mind and say, maybe there's a way. Let's just give it a try. Another thing that helps in this process is to list ways that things have started to show up in your life already. List good things. This is why keeping a gratitude journal is so important. You know, so many people talk about keeping a gratitude journal. And this is where you can go back and draw on those experiences of gratefulness, good things that have happened in your life, and start to feed that back to your subconscious mind in this context. Well, look, if a good thing can show up over here then something even bigger is right around the corner over there. Let's open up to it. So as you keep doing this, listing your intention, listening to the counter, and then countering the counter, dialoguing with the counter, offsetting the counter, just having a conversation with it, what you'll find is every time you go back and list that intention and you listen for the voice, if that counter intention is still coming up, it will be a little bit less powerful each time. And then eventually it will go away and you will literally be able to set that intention, put it out there, and that counterintention will literally not come up. Now, another one might come up and you have to work the process all the way through again, but you just keep working it and keep working it until there are literally no counterintentions left. You have vetted everything, and now that intention, once you get to that place, there are no counter intentions. well, you better look out because whatever it is that you've been setting as an intention is about to show up in your life. But a lot of us will still hold on to those counterintentions, even if it's way back in the back of your mind. I mean, you have to be so honest with yourself here that when you put that intention out, there is literally nothing coming back. You get to that point, then you're in free, clear space. All right, there's one other thing I want to give you, and it it actually puts a homework assignment back on me because this is something I've wanted to do and put on the website, and I just haven't had the time to do it, but I will get to it. I want to give you the step anyway. Step number four is create some affirmations that work for you. And yeah, I see. I know you, a lot of people have different mixed impressions about affirmations. Let me turn you on to some that are really, really amazing. And what I'm hoping to do is package these and be able to put them up on the website. But search Catherine Ponder, and that's Catherine with a C, C A T H E R I N E Ponder. Catherine Ponder is still alive. She's in her 80s. Her work came mostly in the late 50s and early 60s. And in that period of time, the country, the United States, and we're getting a lot of international listeners, and I really appreciate that. Here in the United States, we were going through what we've just been through, a dip in the economy. And Catherine Ponder was a young lady in Birmingham, Alabama, who was working in the Unity Church Movement, which the Unity Church movement in the 60s in Birmingham, Alabama, and that must have been something else. But she put a group of church people together and said, why don't we just focus on prosperity and let's don't listen to the news and all the bad news around us. Let's get a group of people together and focus on prosperity and see what shows up. Well, she wrote 12 books about all the amazing things that started to show up. And that group of people created some of the most beautifully written affirmations I've ever heard. They are poetic and I've shared them with several people and they've, everybody has had the same reaction of just, they are amazing. If you'll start saying these, I will tell you it will not only shift the way you think, but it will make things start happening out there in front of you. I've seen it happen over and over and over. But here, listen to just a couple of these. There is now peace within my walls and prosperity within my palaces. Isn't that beautiful? Abundance, wealth, health, and happiness. Divine intelligence is even now opening the way for my immediate blessings. Here's another one. I give thanks that I am now rich, well, and happy, and that all my financial affairs are in divine order. Every day, in every way, I am growing richer and richer. Oh, these are so good, I could read all of them to you, but I won't. I'll let you do a little bit of research, and then I'll see if I can get them up here uh, soon for you to enjoy. Here are a couple of others. I am an irresistible magnet with the power to attract unto myself everything that I divinely desire. According to the thoughts, feelings, and mental pictures, I constantly entertain and radiate. I am the center of my universe. I have the power to create whatever I wish. I attract whatever I radiate. I attract whatever I mentally choose and accept. I begin choosing and mentally accepting the highest and best in life. I now choose and accept health, success, and happiness. I now choose lavish abundance for myself and for all humankind. This is a rich, friendly universe. And I dare to accept its riches, its hospitality, and to enjoy them now. Boy, if you said that every day and just made that the reality of your life, wouldn't things start to change? I'm telling you, here's a good one. Oh, I love this one. This is awesome. There's gold dust in the air for me. Money, money, money. Manifest thyself here and now in rich abundance. I started saying that, and I had a check show up that just dropped out of the air. I'm not kidding you. It was incredible. How about this one? If life has been a little rough over the last several years or decades, divine restoration is taking place. The good which the locusts of lack have eaten is being divinely restored. The divine law of balance and equilibrium is doing its perfect work. Here's one that really made a difference for me, and I say this for my kids every day, too. Vast improvement comes quickly in every phase of my life now, every day, and in every way. Things are getting better and better for me now. And I will say that for myself, and then I will say my kids' names in there as well. Here's one more, and I'll stop with this one. Especially, this is so beautiful, if you have been offended And there is forgiveness that needs to take place. Listen to this. All that has offended me, I forgive. Within and without, I forgive. Things past, things present, things future, I forgive. I forgive everything and everybody who can possibly need forgiveness of the past or the present. I forgive positively everyone. I am free and they are free too. All things are cleared up between us now and forever. Aren't those great? Catherine Ponder, search those up and start to incorporate them into your life. And by the way, please don't have a drive-through mentality on this. This is not something that you snap your fingers and say an affirmation a couple of times and then it just takes place. This is a mind shift. This is reprogramming your subconscious mind to the beautiful words and outcomes that are contained in those poetic affirmations, but it doesn't happen overnight. I would do this myself every morning when I woke up, when I very first woke up, I would grab my iPad and I would say those affirmations. And all I had to do is turn it on because they were there from the night before. I would say them before I went to sleep because I wanted my subconscious mind in sleep to begin to incorporate and permeate these things into my soul. But you have to take a long-term approach. That's the point. I hope this helps. It's been a great podcast. Thank you for listening. My name is Thomas Miller, and my encouragement to you is to enjoy the journey. The opinions on this podcast are those of the host based on personal experience only and are not intended as medical or psychological advice. If you are experiencing symptoms that require professional treatment, please contact a licensed medical practitioner.